Before we get started this morning, in terms of our Bible study together, I would uh, first like to just make you aware of a very, very important process that begins today. Uh, when you go to your mailbox after chapel this morning, uh, you will find all your registration material for the fall. We are now entering what we call phase one of registration, and this will take place beginning today, and it will continue through May the 8th, so you have two weeks. Now, let me say something very, very pointedly to you. Uh, we are obviously going to have another record enrollment next year. And it behooves all of you to get registered as soon as possible. This is not a pre-registration. This is registration. And the courses that you register for now, the times that you register for, those will be the classes that you will receive next fall. And so the point is, obviously, if you put that off, uh, the opportunity for you to get the exact classes that you want at the times that you want them uh, will decrease. Now let me say this as well, as the, as the enrollment of the institution grows, this also means that we're going to have to offer more and more courses throughout the entire day, which will begin at 7 in the morning and go on into the evening. And so obviously classes will be spread out, and I know you, most of you, would prefer to go to class from 9 to noon if you could work it out. But the point is, obviously there are classes offered at that particular time, and so once again, those of you who take advantage of that and uh, get your enrollment taken care of uh, can get the times for the classes that you desire. Now let me also say, for those of you who do not register, but then return in the fall, there will be a $50 late registration fee. So you need to register now, even if some of you are not sure if you're coming back, if you're not sure, if there is a chance you will or partially that you won't come back, I still encourage you to go ahead and register now, okay, and get signed up and see your advisor. Uh, what you need to do is to go to your faculty advisor, uh, make an appointment to see them sometime this week or next week, get that registration taken care of. Uh, you'll have your white registration card along with some others. You fill those out and then take them to the registrar's office, okay? And as I said before, uh, do this as soon as possible. This material will be, uh, along with the class schedule, will be in your box today, all right? So you need to take care of that. If you have any questions about uh, the process, I'm sure that the registrar's office will be able to uh, uh, give you those answers. So please take care of that today, if you will. Uh, I want to talk to you about some things this morning that uh, are the kinds of things that... Uh, I like to talk about to my son. They're the kinds of things that I look about in terms of, of personal relationships that I have with him, problems that I think he might be facing as he moves through his teenage years and moves ahead into college. And uh, some of the things that I want to share with you this morning are things that I grapple with as well. Uh, there is a tendency, I think, on the part of young people to believe that uh, those in leadership somehow have arrived. And that, I want to assure you, is not the case. I, in my own way and in certain areas of my own life, struggle every bit as much as you do. Maybe the struggles are different, maybe the temptations are different, but I want you to know that they are there and they are real. And so while maybe you're struggling in some areas that I'm not struggling in, I want to assure you that those of us who the Lord has placed in leadership over you also have our own areas of temptation, our own areas of struggle that we must work through ourselves. 
What I want to talk to you about has to do with this this morning has to do with this whole area of temptation. Because I think temptation really is very, very subtle. Uh, you know, some years ago, uh, probably when most of you were uh, maybe just children, we had a comedian that was uh, uh, very, very popular on the airwaves throughout the United States. And he had a little saying, and it went like this. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And today we hear a lot about the power of Satan and how he directly causes us to sin. But I really want you to know this morning that as I've studied the scripture, I believe there is much misunderstanding concerning Satan and his person and his power. Now don't misunderstand me. The Bible affirms that Satan is a person. However, we need to understand that Satan is not, listen, is not the direct cause of sin in every person. The Bible teaches that sin comes directly from the human heart. Turn with me, if you will, very briefly to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Let me just read you one particular verse that relates to this. And this, is the, this has to do with the period just before the flood. And listen to what Moses says as he writes this particular verse in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, now listen to that, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now turn over to James chapter 1, if you will. James chapter 1. And here I believe we have the operative passage for what I want to talk about this morning in the New Testament. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But, now here's the verse. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Now here's what I'm trying to say as you relate those two particular passages back to the power of Satan. Remember this, Satan's ambition is to consolidate his authority over the world system, which includes the culture, our moral standards, and our institutions, such as government. But remember, while Satan is the highest created being, and Isaiah talks about this, Satan is not omnipresent, he is not omnipotent, nor omniscient. That is, he must work through the world system or his demons that he controls. My point is simply this. In terms of the whole spectrum of the population, the odds that you are going to have a direct confrontation with Satan are frankly quite large. But where you are going to be tempted, I'm sorry, quite small, where you are going to be tempted, though, is in this subtle 
area of the flesh that James talks about. And I believe this comes to us really via the culture, which Satan really does dominate and control. Now, we live in a culture today that is vastly different than the one that I grew up in in the 1940s and the 1950s. There are so many ways that I could illustrate this to you, but let me just give you a few so that you might understand the difference. And you will not be able to relate to this at all. When I grew up, when I grew up as a young boy, I never thought of myself as being poor. Okay, I never thought of myself as being poor. But as I look back on my life in terms of the material things that are available to my children today, if I was going to make a comparison just on materialism alone, I would have to come to the conclusion that I was poor. Let me tell you some of the things that were different when I was growing up as to when you were growing up today. My mother darned all my socks. I don't believe my wife has ever darned a pair of socks. Okay. I don't believe many of your mothers have ever darned a pair of socks. All my pants were patched. All of them were patched. I wore my pants literally until they wore out. All my shoes were always half-soled. The shoes were repaired and repaired and repaired until there was literally nothing left. We ate such things as rabbit and tongue. Okay? The idea of a top sirloin steak never entered my mind. Of course, I wouldn't have appreciated it anyway. But the point that I want you to understand is, materialistically, the culture has changed radically. I was telling my U.S. government class last week that I was kind of a, of a post-depression child. That is, I was born just prior to the beginning of World War II in 1940. And so that there were still areas of the depression that were still left in terms of lifestyle. And I think that the parents that raised their children through that particular period raised them in the light of the Great Depression. That is, they had gone through a 10-year period or a decade in their life when things materially in this country were very, very difficult. And the question that I grapple with today as I attempt to raise my own children is they absolutely have no idea and no frame of reference to be able to relate to the same kinds of things that my parents went through and that, and that I was exposed to as a young child. There was a great sense of volunteerism in the 30s. People helping people at every cause, at every turn. It was even true with the government. During the Great Depression, uh, instrumentalists, musicians that could not get a job would come together on a Saturday evening in the park and play a free concert. I don't have to tell you what it costs to go to a concert today that musicians put on. Today, we've seen a radical change. The culture today is dominated by meism, by selfism, 
by a narcissism that raises its ugly head in every institution, whether it be government, whether it be education, whether it be athletics, whether it be the church, or whether it be the family. The self, the individual, has replaced the community. Every decision that is made today is primarily made on what is best for me. And we as Christians then are called upon to live in a culture that basically really repudiates every single biblical value, especially in the area of personal relationships. The people that our culture produces today are people that live in a state of restlessness. They are perpetually unsatisfied. They have no real interest in the future because they have little interest in the past. I think one of the greatest criticisms of our culture today, and I blame this really on my generation, is that the young people that are growing up today are A, historical. Because they have no understanding of the past, they care very little about the future. And that simply leaves the present. Today, people are perpetually on the move. They perpetually pamper their bodies. They stroke their egos. And they manipulate those around them. We are told that the government will take care of us that we have a right to an education, and even we as Christians have a right to demand health and wealth from our God. We are told that our families have a right to a suburban home, to a swimming pool, to a motor home, and to a VCR. These are the rights of the 20th century. And I want to ask you this morning, if that's where you are, if that's where you're headed, you are right for what James is talking about in James chapter 1. Young people, listen. I'm speaking to you this morning, hopefully, from a voice of experience. And my desire for you is not to make the same mistakes that many young people your age are making right now and are going to make. I think one of the greatest lessons you can learn as a young person is to value the advice that older people give you. Because they have been down the very same path that you are headed. What I want to do now is I want to show you this morning how this temptation comes about and how I believe that you can effectively oppose it. I believe that the greatest challenge that we face as Christians is in this area of the temptation of our flesh to buy into the world system. Now, there's one passage in the New Testament that really defines for us very succinctly what the world system is. And I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. John says this to the church at large in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And here's the perspective that you need to get a hold of, and it's a very difficult perspective for a young person to get a hold of. Because you all at this point in your life believe that you are immortal. That your entire life lies in front of you. And the spectrum of your life coming to an end is something that you can't even deal with at this particular time in your life. But look what John says in verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust of it. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now in this particular passage... John gives us the three great categories from which I believe all temptation comes from. The three great categories. And these three categories, I believe, characterize the world system. Now look what John says. Love not the world. Now what's he talking about there? You know, we hear that talked about an awful lot today. What John is talking about here is not the world, the sense of the earth, the physical earth. What he's talking about here is what we might call the world system. Okay? The Greek actually means the orderly arrangement of things. Okay? The modern idea might be that of the establishment. What the establishment values. The trends that the establishment sets. The elites that control it. What he's talking about here is not buying into what we might call the world system or the establishment. Now, having said that, let me say something else. You need to know, you need to know what the world system believes about itself and what its values are. And in order to do that, that means you must be informed. And I would suggest to you, if you want to find out what the world system is all about and what the elites in this country really believe and what their desires are for the rest of this culture, you need to read a magazine like Time Magazine. Time Magazine is the elite magazine. It is the magazine that tells you what the dominant leadership in every area of life in America really thinks and what it believes or what they believe. And you as a Christian need to understand that so that you can understand what they are all about. So John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that's a very interesting verse, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because it doesn't relate directly to what I want to say this morning, but it really is the heart. The point simply is, folks, listen. As a habit of life, you either love God or you love the world. That's what John is saying there. And if you love the world as a habit of life, the big issue for you then is you're not saved. And I'll get back to that as we move ahead. But the point I want you to see as we move on in verse 16, John says this, For all that is of this world, that is of this establishment, and then he uses the word lust. Now let me give you a definition of lust, okay? Definition of lust. Lust is a legitimate desire pursued or exalted to a point of idolatry. 
Let me give you that again. A legitimate desire pursued or exalted to a point of idolatry. That is, something can be good in and of itself. And you literally can turn it into an idol. You know, you can turn your car into an idol. You can turn your motorcycle into an idol. You can turn your athletic career into an idol. You can, you can turn your academic life into an idol. So the point simply is, it's not so much the thing. It's how you deal with it and how you treat it. Lust is a legitimate desire pursued or exalted to a point of idolatry. To where that thing totally controls your life. And as a Christian, you better be very careful about those kinds of things. You better keep a handle on that. And so you can back away from things when they begin to become too powerful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, there are some things that are not evil in and of themselves. But Paul chooses not to do them. For this very reason. He does not want anything to dominate his life except for Christ. Now let's look at these three areas this morning because this is what I want you to zero in on. And what I want you to see here is the subtleness of the attack that you face. You know, we're not talking about big, huge, capital S sins here. You know, we're not talking about the nasty nine or the dirty dozen. We're not talking about, we're not talking about, you know, uh, sexual impurity. We're not talking about alcohol here. I'm talking about stuff today that are much, that are much more subtle than that. But things that will destroy you just as quickly as any overt sin. John says this in verse 16. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, young people, listen. Things haven't changed since the Garden of Eden. These are the three broad areas of the, the three broad contextual areas from which all temptation come. Okay? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, what do we mean by these three terms when we use them? First of all, the lust of the flesh. I think probably a better word here to use would be the word selfishness. The word selfishness. A self-centered life. Now listen to me. I don't have to tell you that everywhere you go today, you are bombarded with this. Everything you do, everything you listen to, you listen to any lyric of any secular song almost. There is nothing about community. There is nothing about building other people up. It's all I and me centered. What I can get out of a relationship. Not what can I do for someone else. Not how can I build somebody else up. The ads you see on television are precisely the same thing. What is in it for you? If I drive a certain kind of car, what will be the benefit to me of driving that car? You know, the interesting thing is it never has to do with the performance of the car either. Always some tangential benefit. 
Okay? Like a sharp date. Okay? You know what I'm getting at. I love that Toyota ad where the, where the, uh, where the gal drives down the beach, right? Do you ever think about the ridiculousness of that, that commercial? Here this gal drives down a crowded beach at 50 miles an hour. She stops. Who comes up to the car? A lifeguard with his bronze tan. And what happens? They drive off into the sunset together. Nothing to do with the automobile at all. Nothing. Well, you don't even know if they had to pull it off with a tow truck. See my point, though? That These things are all so subtle. And they're right there affecting you every single day of your life. You know, this whole issue of selfishness, lust of the flesh, it even starts when you're babies. If you want to see somebody that epitomizes the lust of the flesh, you look at a baby. Everything is self-centered. Everything is self-centered. That is their entire world. But you know what happens today in our culture? One of the greatest challenges that, that parents face is to move beyond that stage in terms of handling their children. Too many parents today give their children the same kind of attentiveness that they gave them when they were babies. They do everything for them. One of the greatest challenges that I face in my own life in raising my own children is not to fall into this particular trap of doing everything for my children. You know, one of the things that I've really seen change in the academic life of this college over the past 15 years is precisely that. I don't say this to put you down. I say this so that you might understand what's happening in your own life. More and more students, as the years go on, expect more and more while they put in less and less. And all I'm telling you is, is that that is a reflection of the culture. Wanting more and more while putting in less and less. Now let me say this, as a parent, I wanted something better for my children. But you know what usually happens there? That is translated into, into material things. I can remember the first bicycle I got when I was about seven or eight years old. It wasn't a Webco. Okay? It wasn't a, it wasn't a Schwinn three-speed. You know, it wasn't a mongoose. You know what it was? My dad went down to a dump, got an old bike, fixed the wheels, repainted it, and that was my first bicycle. But you know, I didn't know the difference. I can remember when I was in junior high school and I wanted a Schwinn bicycle more than anything else at that time. And I can remember getting all excited at Christmas time. Getting all excited. And I just thought that bike was out there under that tree. And I went out there and you know what? The bike wasn't there. I began to work and I finally earned enough money by the time I was 16 to buy myself that Schwinn bicycle. You know what my dad taught me? My dad taught me something else that's missing in the culture today. And that is delayed gratification. We live in a culture today, young people, that wants everything right now. You want it now. 
And the problem is nobody wants to sacrifice. And you know the problem with that is? That takes away all the goodness that comes from working to get something in order to see something granted to you down the line. And one of the greatest things, I think, that is really tearing our culture apart today is precisely this. You know, I've asked myself, and I asked my class this the other day, I, I really wonder if we had another depression like we had in the 1930s, if we would make it today as a nation. If there was 25% unemployment again today, if there, were, if there were food lines in this country, I'm really wondering, would we make it? Do we have the kind of character? Do I have the kind of character? Do you have the kind of character that would see us through that kind of a situation? I really wonder about that. And I really don't know the answer. Lust of the flesh. Selfishness. A life that leads to a lifestyle of manipulation. When all we see, well, when we see people as only being objects to be manipulated in order to carry out our own desires. Using the system to benefit ourselves. You know, I was with a bunch of deans a, a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago at, a, at our annual meeting. And I was sitting around with, with my counterpart from Biola and from Azusa Pacific from, and from Point Loma, from Southern Cal College, from Christian Heritage. And we began to talk about something. And it really was very discouraging. As each dean began to share a problem that is becoming more and more prevalent on Christian college campuses today. And you know what it is? It's the problem of cheating. Of cheating. Of degrading and devaluating the system. Of degrading and devaluating yourself. And we've come to the conclusion that maybe in the next three or four years this might really become an epidemic. And one might expect it on secular college campuses. But when all of a sudden deans at Christian college campuses begin to talk about the fact that cheating is a problem on a Christian college campus, you wonder, what in the world are we doing? We get up here and we preach, we preach integrity. And we preach commitment. And we preach the Lordship of Christ. And for some reason this doesn't get translated into daily living. It comes right back to this whole issue of the subtleness of temptation. Satan's not sitting on your shoulder, young people. You know what it is. It's in here. Your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the point is, if you're, not, if you're not willing to grapple with that on a daily basis, you're going to fall to these kinds of temptations. Secondly, look what John says. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes... Materialism. Materialism. Wow. Need I say more? We live in a consumer mentality today. We really do. You know, I, it's really amazing. Uh, I, I see it in the church. I see it everywhere. You know, no longer are we the producer. No longer are we the producer. No longer are we the hard worker. All we are today is a bunch of consumers. Economists tell us the country can't go ahead unless we're consuming on ourselves all the time. And that's fine. We have to have goods and services in order to maintain our lives. 
But I'll tell you, there's something very subtle about materialism. And it's simply this. It produces a mentality that basically says, all I care about is what I can get. You know, you see it in the church all the time. Why do people choose churches? You know, why do people choose churches? Do they choose churches because they think it's a place where they can go and really minister and really work and, 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 and join with the body of Christ to really build up other believers? No. First question, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? How good is the preaching? How good is the teaching? You know, there's two sides to an education, young people. There's two sides. And we have a very great responsibility here, and we will never arrive at that. And that is giving, the, giving you the kind of content that you deserve to have. And that's an onward struggle with us because we as teachers have not arrived. But I'll tell you this, it's a two-way street. And as long as you see yourself as only a consumer, you will never get out of this experience what God would have you get out of it. What are you putting into it? You know, Dr. Pilkey, when he spoke, when we had our teachers, when the teachers had our little time with you that week, said something that really stuck in my mind. He said, he said, the academic life is a grieving life. You remember that? It's hard work. You grieve about it. You cry about it. And you know, one of the things that is so sad about our culture today is that people are unwilling to do that. When I went away to, when I went away to college, I lived my, in my freshman year in a room that was about half again, it was about maybe 50% larger than the rooms in Hotchkiss. There were five of, five of us in one room. I don't say this to, to, to lift myself up, but I was just thankful to be there. I went to another college. I had a room that was twi half the size of Hotchkiss with one other roommate. Didn't even have a shower. Had to take baths. Imagine that guy's taking baths. You should have seen the tub. <laughs> uh, you know, guys aren't too good when it comes to, uh, you know, cleaning up the bathrooms. Anyway, my point was, I was glad to be there. I just thought it was such a privilege to be able to have an opportunity to get a college education. When I was in college, once again, you know... A C was an average grade. A B was something that was considered to be very highly satisfactory. An A was something really reserved for outstanding people. You know, we've not only been in an inflationary period when it comes to the monetary system, we're in an inflationary period when it comes to grading. Most students today think the B is the average grade. If they get a C, there's something wrong with it. Boy, the culture has changed. And it goes back to this point, once again, of being a consumer rather than being a producer. And young people, let me challenge you. You are young enough right now to really deal with this. You know, you've got your whole lives in front of you. You've got the opportunity to raise your families in front of you. And the issue is, how are you going to handle these things? Are you building the kind of character traits into your life right now that you want to pass on to your children? Do you want your children to be constant complainers? Do you want your children to think nothing about self-aggrandizement and self-fulfillment? And being nothing but a consumer? Of course you don't. You want the best for them. But now is the time when you can begin to build these things into your own life.
So that later on, in the next few years, you can build them if God tarries, if Christ tarries into the life of your own children. You see, what you're doing right now, you know, you don't think it's very important. But the kind of, the kind of character traits that you're developing right now, the kinds of attitudes that you're developing right now, are going to be the attitudes that you're going to pass on to your children. The hardest thing for a person your age is to get a hold of the big picture because you haven't been there yet. And I've been there. And I'm trying to warn you. And I'm trying to help you. And I'm trying to encourage you to begin to deal with the real world and understand the subtleness of temptation. Well, lastly, look at the third area of temptation. Our time is getting away from us. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Worldly security. The pride and confidence in what one possesses. That's going to see you through. Your $100,000 a year salary. Your $200,000 life insurance policy. Your investments. I'll tell you, none of that counts for anything your kids go down the drain in the meantime. You know, there are a lot of people in this world today that spend all their time driving for success. And when they reach their latter years, their children have grown up, they've left the home, they look back, and they have no memories. No memories. All they have done their whole life is to work and work and work so that they can be secure in their possessions, failing to understand that the only security they really have is in God. James understood this. Timothy understood. Remember what James said? Life is but a what? What is it? Like a what? Like a vapor. It's gone. And the point is, young people, listen to me. I heard a psychologist say one time that this life is it. But that's not true. This life is a dress rehearsal. Never forget it. This life is a dress rehearsal. In terms of the microcosm of time, we're but a puff of smoke. And what we're doing right now faces two ways. First of all, our relationship to Christ in the future when we go to be with Him. And secondly, what we are going to pass on to the generation that follows us. Listen, young people, you have a great opportunity. You have your lives in front of you. You have an opportunity to build into the lives of your children maybe things that you wish even at this point were not built into your own lives. But let me say this. Temptation is subtle. The world system is real. The establishment is real. And I'll tell you this, for most of you, it's not going to be the big temptations, but it's going to be the temptations that come from the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And the issue for each of you right now is how are you going to deal with those? Are you going to keep living for number one? Maybe the only reason you came to school was to get a degree so you could go out and get a high-paying job. Listen, 
That is the subtleness of temptation. Listen, we need to be like the first century Christians. We need to understand that we are wayfarers and sojourners. And our job is to understand we're passing through, folks. And our job is not to sink our, our roots so deep in this culture that we're like Lot and his wife. And my prayer for you as you face the final couple of weeks of this semester is that once again you'll be able to look and be able to see your own life with a proper perspective. Begin to get your priorities sorted out. Begin to see the big picture. Listen, you've got your whole lives in front of you. I don't know for how long that is for each of you, but definitely it's there. And the point for you is simply this. Am I going to buy in to the world system? Or am I going to do what John says here and understand that he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.